culture do? What can culture do? What is culture? Culture unites us. Welcome to our first breakout session of today, Inside Out, Challenges and Potential of Digital Applications. And I am very happy that we have Markus Hilgert here. He is the Secretary General and CEO of the Cultural Foundation of the German Federal States. And what I think is very interesting as we're going to be talking about digital applications, he's also a specialist in ancient Near Eastern studies and served as director of the ancient Near East Museum at the Pergamon Museum in Berlin from 2014 to 2018. And he is also the coordinator of the National Transdisciplinary Research Alliance, ILICID, and was the founding director of the Heidelberg Center for Cultural Heritage and the Center for Digital Cultural Heritage in Museums. Markus Hilger, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. That is worth a round of applause. It's very Thank cute. <laughs> <laughs> I like this format. Good afternoon, everybody. Can you hear me? Wow. Okay. Everybody's actually listening. This is great. Um, thank you so much for uh, the nice introduction. I'm very happy to be here this afternoon. And um, my task is to look at the topics that we've just discussed um, on the panel through the lens of digital applications or digitality. Um, we've heard from Suai Aksoy about contested histories. We've heard about a paradigm shift in museum. We've heard about how to decolonize museums. And the question is, if digital applications, if digital um, instruments in the museum, if a more pronounced digital literacy of museums can help them face these challenges. Because when we talk about the social role of museums and the changed social role of museums, of course, the question is, is the digital transformation part of this change and changed role, or can it be a catalyst of um, this change and sort of help museums um, confront some of the issues that we've talked about? Um, talking about potential and challenges we could probably do for two or three days. Um, I don't want to do this um, because I also want to eat some ice cream afterwards. <laughs> um, what I want to do is I, I will try to structure the topic. And I have for both for potential and challenges one key message and five topics that I would like to discuss. And I will go very, very briefly through these topics and key messages. And then I would invite you to have either more key messages and more topics or challenge the one that I've just noticed. And if we run out of things to talk about, then I have three questions for you that I would like you to answer. I would like to start with um, the potential of digital applications in museums And my key message here would be that digital applications are resources of interaction and participation. And for me, these three key terms are extremely important. Participation and interaction, I think, are the key formats for a changing museum that is answering to new societal challenges. The key question here is how to engage with audiences, how to engage with visitors. And museums traditionally have not been very active 
um, in the areas of participation and interaction, there has been a unidirectional um, communication going on between the curators and the audiences. And the question, of course, is how do you um, enforce or how do you enable communication, participation, and interaction? And when I talk about resources, I actually do mean resources. We talk about resources and think of water. We think of food. And I think we should talk and think of digital applications and digital instruments also um, as resources because they are resources for participation, not only in the area of culture, but of course also in the area of politics. And this is something that I will come back to later because for me it's extremely important um, to think about how to make digital applications and digital technology accessible to all. We briefly talked about the digital divide, but the digital divide actually is probably one of the biggest challenges right now, not only on an international level, but also on a national level. So again, the key message here would be digital applications are extremely important resources of interaction and participation. And why is that? And these are um, the five topics I would like to mention very briefly. I call them the five Ds because they all start conveniently with the letter D. First topic is diversity. Um, the potential of digital applications, of course, is that you can address different audiences, different target groups according to their specific interest. When you think of the analog museum space, you know that it's virtually impossible to put all the signs, placards, and texts, texts physically in that room. If, if you want to have a target-specific communication, you need something that is not tied to the physical museum space. And this is where, obviously, digital applications come in because they allow you to infinitely uh, sharpen profile your message um, to your audience down to the individual if, if you know what um, the ideas, the interests, and the past experience of that individual has been. So diversity, obviously, is an extremely important topic. Dissemination, this is something that has been talked about before. Social media are extremely important in disseminating the contents that museums have in abundance. Um, this allows us to talk to different audiences and to disseminate the contents that we have. And this contents is extremely important because it's a contents of cultural diversity, it's a contents of social cohesion, and it's a contents that, for example, in my case, being an historian, goes back 5,000 years in history. So that also tells us something about how to address societal issues. So dissemination, of course, is extremely important. And that brings me to the next D, which is democratization, democratization. And when I say that word, I don't just mean popularization. When, when people use that term, they usually mean, okay, we'll, we're just disseminating um, information to audiences. When I talk about democratization, I mean empowering people, empowering a society to take an active part in democratical processes, to foster liberal democracy. And this, of course, is something that becomes more and more important, not just in Europe, but also in other parts of the world. So digital applications will help us um, achieve a certain capacity for liberal democracy, which I think is extremely important. Fourth point, decentralization. I think it's extremely important that 
museums are in different places and not just tied to one physical building and this is what digital applications virtual museums obviously can achieve very easily and the last and fifth point here in this section deconstruction um, when we talk about contested histories it also means that we have to find ways to deconstruct to open up the curator's discourse with which as i said before is usually unidirectional and what's amazing now with digital technologies with the ways they provide to um, insert your own history, your own object narrative in the museum is that all of a sudden you have various object narratives that stand by side by side and in, in a way have the same value as um, the discourse of the curators. And I think that's extremely important if we want um, museums to be the societal actors that they should be. And this brings me to the challenges. And again, here, there is a key message and five topics that I would like to talk about. And the key message here is that digital applications in museums require two things. One is transformation, and the other one is cooperation. And again, cooperation, transformation are extremely important. Transformation means, in fact, digital transformation as in Museum 4.0 because a museum, as I know from my own experience, can only do efficiently what I was just talking about if every process within that museum changes accordingly. So this is something we can learn from business and industry. They've understood that if they want to become digital players, they, it's, it's not enough to use computers or to use the Internet, but it's important to get a different kind of uh, culture. It's important to get a different kind of management, usually, usually an agile management and um, corresponding structures. And this, of course, needs to be um, realized in museums as well. And when I talk about cooperation, this is the ethical dimension of um, using digital applications because obviously none of the things that I will talk about in a minute can be achieved without active cooperation among various players. What are the five topics? They're not five Ds, but they're five S's. I don't know, it just, just happened that way. One is standards. One of the biggest things that we're missing right now in the area of using digital applications in museum is standards. We don't know what technologies to use to 3D scan archaeological objects. We don't know how to name the files that result from that. We don't know how to link those files to the museum inventory systems that we're using. A lot of problems that exist both on a regional or on a regional, national and international level. Very much connected to that is, is the second topic, topic, which is shareability. What are we doing when we scan archaeological objects? And more importantly, who are we doing this for? This is be done for future generations, but it's also done for societies where cultural heritage may be under threat. So when we create collections of digital images and digital models, we have to make sure others can use them as well. Otherwise, we'll just have a new neocolonial discourse that says all the resources, all the technology, all the information is in the global north, but in the global south, where this information is needed urgently, there is no access to it. So we have to ensure shareability. Storage is a huge topic. I don't think I need to go into that in detail. Um, most devices that store digital data will not last longer than 10 to 20 years. 
how are we going to ensure sustainability and long-term storage of the data that we're creating now. Some of you are around long enough to know that what we did digitally in the 80s and 90s is, is hard to use nowadays. So imagine what will happen 10 years to 15 years down the road. Semantics is something else that's extremely important that we usually don't talk about. What do we do with 3D models? Is it okay to scan Nefertiti and then do funny things with her face, for example? Is that something that we should be talking about? Is it okay to use a reconstruction of the Istrogate in a computer game? And how do we address these topics? And finally, and probably most importantly, symmetry. Symmetry refers to the fact, as I said before, that resources, digital applications, infrastructures are not distributed evenly on a global level. And this is something extremely important. Stefan Simon just pointed out that about half of the world's population does not have access to the Internet. Um, I've worked extensively with Iraq and Syria. We've been trying to cooperate also in the area of 3D documentation of archaeological heritage and monuments, it's extremely important to create the infrastructures that will enable these countries that face many difficulties to use this data. So we have to make sure that we aim at establishing this symmetry on a global level, which is a huge challenge, which will take many generations. But whenever we talk about digital applications, the advantages of digital documentation of heritage in the global north, let us not forget there are many, many people out there who do not have access to these um, technologies. And one of the big political questions is how to ensure that access is not only limited to certain cities in Germany, to certain institutions, but widespread also in rural areas. This, of course, is not just a topic on an international level, but also on a national level. And I would like to stop here and maybe invite comments, questions from you. Um, I've, I've got one question. Um, when you were talking about access, for example, for, for people who don't have the possibility, who don't have internet, of course you also have people who enjoy museums but are may, maybe of an older generation who don't know how to use uh, digital applications, don't want to. Is it a challenge to make it accessible for, for both so that you have the interesting new applications to maybe draw in younger generations but you still take care of the older generations or people who simply don't want to use digital applications? Absolutely. I think this, this is an extremely important aspect and, and, and a very important question. Being able to use di digital applications does not mean that everybody has to use it. Mm -hmm. And when I talk about the digital museum, I don't want to imply that everything museums will do in the future has to be digital. Mm -hmm. I think it's just one instrument of engaging audiences mm -hmm. and it's one instrument of engaging specific audience, uh, audiences. We're being told that the so-called millennials, the mm -hmm. people that were born in the 80s and are now between 30 and 35, are most easily targeted through social media. And that means that if you want to address them, if you want to lure them in the museum, you probably have to use social media. And how do you do that? It's not that easy. You, you cannot just create a Twitter account. You need to think about what you tweet, mm -hmm. how you tweet, what contents you use. So ideally, you have a social media curator. Um, at the same time, it is true, and, and, and we see that in a lot of areas, that visitors do not necessarily want to deal with a digital application. They don't want to run through the museum with a smartphone in their hands. So that means you have to um, 
create or maintain other forms of communication that are just as attractive, but that are just as target-oriented or target-group-oriented as the digital ones. And this, this, of course, is the challenge that we face right now, 10 years to 20 years down the road. There will be many more digital natives mm -hmm. and many more millennials and less fewer people who may not be digitally literate. Mm -hmm. So we're in a, in a very crucial transition phase where we use both kinds of media, analog and digital. Okay, thank you. Any questions, the gentleman? Uh, thank you for an excellent presentation. Um, I could subscribe to all your points, basically. Um, coming to the five Ds, the third D, democratization, is particularly interesting to me. We at the Museum of Applied Arts in Vienna, the Mark have really tried also to become a platform for active democracy, uh, but it's uh, very difficult to do, actually, to engage an audience who is probably more used to being entertained in museums uh, and not going for the hardcore democratic processes. Of course, it can be lighter, but it's really a challenge. So maybe you could elaborate a little bit on that. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I, I may have been misleading. I, when I'm talking about democratization, I don't necessarily mean having political discussions or debates in the museum. What I mean is creating um, a very general basic ability of discretion and critical thinking that is based on education, on knowledge, on the idea of liberal democracies. And I think, I believe very strongly that culture in all its forms sends that message continuously. You cannot look at a painting, for example. You cannot look at a beautiful archaeological object or a cuneiform tablet without seeing in it the diversity the knowledge, um, the inspiration that has gone into it. And this is the kind of message that I would like to send using art and culture. I don't necessarily, I, I wouldn't exclude it. I wouldn't exclude political discussions. But what I'm thinking of is a cultural education that is more than just a um, transmission of knowledge. I want it to be a way of thinking or a way of living that is open-minded, critical, um, based on diversity and, and leading and aiming at social cohesion. That's, that's what I want to get across. Do you feel that the youth nowadays, for example, in, in schools is being educated towards that idea? I think it's, it's difficult to generalize. Um, I think there are schools who do that. Um, the organization that I'm leading right now and that I have been leading for almost four weeks now um, has been... Has been very active in the area of cultural education for kids. And there are actually schools who have amazingly well-done cultural education programs. And we're um, awarding these schools with, with a um, special award or a special prize. Um, my feeling is that private schools um, have the advantage of being more um, active in, in this area sometimes, and that state schools, um, public schools sometimes um, face difficulties because for this kind of education you need resources, mm -hmm. um, you need a lot of teachers that are trained in a specific way, and you also need access to digital technologies and infrastructures because, as, as you know, even in, in, in a country like Germany, this is 
not a given. This is not to be taken for granted. And this is why now apparently the government has decided to invest a lot of money in, in the uh, digital infrastructure of schools. Um, I, of course, would like to have more cultural education um, in schools also, um, probably aside from curriculum. But for me, being both a cultural person and, a, and an academic person, I cannot think of any topic that is not related to culture and that could not be communicated mm -hmm. through culture. So in a way, yes, I wish there was more of that in, in curricula, but of course it's a huge challenge. But it's, it is a dangerous thing, I think, because if you have it more at uh, private schools because they have more fundings or simply more money, then it also kind of creates an elite yes. who has more access yes. to, to culture, exactly. Exactly. which shouldn't actually, culture should I be. I absolutely agree, and th yeah. this is why I said it, because I think mm -hmm. it's very dangerous. I don't want us to go there. Um, I want more cultural education. Mm -hmm. I want more culture all over the place, also because we're starting to understand, if you look at the policy documents on an international level, that we need culture in security politics, we need it in foreign politics, we need it for sustainable development politics. All of a sudden, culture is sitting at all these important tables, um, but where does the knowledge come from? Where does the capacity come from? How do cultural institutions face these new challenges? Um, are they trained? Are they prepared to do that? So I absolutely agree, we need more funding in the public mm -hmm. sector to include culture in virtually all areas um, that are relevant to uh, social life so that it's not just a topic for the elites. Don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not against elites. Mm -hmm. um, elites are, are a given. Um, there are differences. But we have to make sure that the difference between the elites and the non-elites doesn't, doesn't get too big. That would be extremely dangerous. Thank you. Any back there? So thank you. Oh, sorry, technology. So thank. <laughs> okay. So thank you very much uh, for the elaboration. Um, I have a question um, regarding shareability, because uh, as you already uh, said, we uh, this is not as simple to share because we have difference, conviviality, and difference and inequality. So to share is a trading zone. At the same time, to define standards, it's a trading zone full of power imbalances and asymmetries. So maybe you can um, explain a little bit more how you would think that you can share on a global perspective. If I knew, if I only knew, <laughs> um, I wouldn't be here this afternoon. No, I think this is, this is again, extremely important. And, and you probably know better than anybody else where the challenges are because you've been focusing on, on Latin America for uh, most of your professional life. Um, coming back to what I said in the beginning, I think cooperation is extremely important. Um, we need more cooperation on, on a national level, for example, because we already know, we already understand that shareability is not a given within Berlin, for example. So um, we need to sit down and figure out what to do with um, the digital heritage that exists and that has been existing since the 1980s and 1990s. But um, there is also more work on standards to be done on an international level. Yesterday, a number of people in this room were in Paris um, at UNESCO. There was a meeting on the reproduction of cultural heritage and works of art. 
and there were many delegates from, from member um, states of UNESCO. And it's clear that symmetry, shareability, cooperation um, are at the heart of what is needed in this area. And this is why I said earlier, for me, this is a resource. Um, when it comes to what kind of political effort we have to make to achieve shareability and symmetry, I think it has to be high up with um, our efforts in ensuring other kinds of uh, resources like water um, and food and equal rights and, and liberal, liberal um, governments. Um, I think one big step forward would be to have regular consultations both on national and international levels because um, what's needed right now very much um, is the sharing of good practice and, and, and maybe even best practice because what I see right now, even in Germany, is that there is a lot of redundancy. There is a lot of public money being spent on similar or equal projects um, within the 16 federal states because there is very, very little communication about what is being done. Um, on the on the state level, but the same is true for the national level. And I think what we need right now is sharing experience. What is working well? What is not working well? We need to encourage good documentation of what is being done in this area because we should not forget that right now we're still in an experimentation phase. Museums do not really know what to do, how, and they do not really have a good understanding of what audiences want. So right now, it's, it's very much about experimentation, sharing experience, trying to come to recommendation, recommendations for future action. But I think it's, it's, it's too early um, to look at shareability as something that could be achieved within the next five years. But this is where we have to go. This, this should be the political vision um, on which the strategy should be built. Thank you. Thank you for this um, can you? A very inspiring uh, presentation on the Digital Museum. Uh, my question would go into the direction of uh, the infrastructure and ask about if it's a, a challenge or a potential because we are and also the standards, um, because we are all aware of the Google initiatives, which is the um, Google Arts and Culture and the Google Culture Institute. So from your point of view, Mm, do you cooperate? Are you, for example, in, in this creation of the standards? Are you inspired or do you like somehow, you know, like, uh, because a lot of institutions simply take something which is already existing. Um, so would, that, would, would it be your recommendation or not? Or how to like work with that issue generally? Yes. Uh, thank you very much, and, and thank you also for mentioning Google, who was also present at the meeting in Paris yesterday. Um, I think I, I, I want to start with long-term availability of data. If our aim is to reach sustainability in that area, I think it will be important to test public-private partnerships because I'm not so sure anymore that the public sector alone with its resources or non-resources will be able to guarantee the, st the sustainability um, in the availability of research data or cultural data. 
A. That means we also have to look at private actors. And when it comes to sustainability, you always necessarily have to go for the bigger players because the smaller players, unfortunately, usually do not have um, the promise of, of sustainability or longevity built in, which, which is a problem. So I think, yes, we should talk to Google because um, as critical as you may seem this endeavor, it's also true that right now they've built a collection of data that is unrivaled in the world, especially of cultural data. They're building technologies that are or can be potentially beneficial for cultural institutions, especially for small cultural institutions. Because, of course, as you know, they're not just the big institutions that can afford to create their own center for digital cultural heritage, but they're all also these, these very, very many small museums, and they can potentially benefit from partnering with a private actor. What's important here is that we have ethical guidelines. I think it's extremely important that we come up with ethical standards, and cooperation, for me, basically, is about ethics in this, in this area, that we come up with standards that Google and other players have to adhere to about the ownership of data, about the way how it is used commercially or not used commercially, about licensing, about... Um, being in line with national law and not just, for example, with the law of the country where Google resides. So these are Im extremely important questions. And for me, they can only be dealt with um, on a multilateral basis. And this is why I'm such a staunch defender of UNESCO and the United Nations, because I think this is an extremely high good that we established after World War II, that we have something like, a, like an international global consensus on certain things. Think of, think of the UNESCO uh, culture conventions. And I think it's foolish, it's foolish to give up on multilateralism as an instrument for setting standards and, and setting ethical guidelines. So I think we need to have private players, private actors, absolutely, because the resources, the financial resources and infrastructures we need are gigantic, beyond, beyond thinkable at, at this point. At the same time, we need very, very strong ethical guidelines, and for me, they can only come from multilateral consensus. Thank you. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I would like to briefly um, address the questions of the two, two ladies who... Okay. Well, thank you very much. I would like to ask you if the, uh, the museums, as an institution, public institution, uh, perhaps is the, the chance to overlap the lack between elite and the people, because you have already two classes from learning, two classes from development, or perhaps more than two. And uh, even though it's a chance to overlap this lack in order to bring uh, culture or to bring learning in museum. Yes, I, I very much want to believe that. I think this is one of the tasks of, of museums, and it should be the tasks of museums. Um, and again, I think that digital communication may help us in doing so because we're able to target 
also those people who usually do not come to a museum um, and younger audiences. At the same time, I want to be very clear that when we go that way, when we go down that road, museums take over tasks from other institutions that other institutions used to have education, um, social engagement. This is happening all over the world. This is happening in Great Britain, for example, because the social sector is losing money tremendously and, and all of a sudden museums are sort of coming in to, to take over some of these tasks. If museums are supposed to do that, they need strong political support and financial means to do so because like any other institution, we're not necessarily trained to be societal players and societal actors. We need capacities and, and expertise to do that. So if society wants us to do that, and I very much think we should be doing that, we also need the corresponding political and financial support. Thank you. One last question. Hi there. Thank you very much. Um, my question kind of has to do with the digitalization of museum archives and also to do with bringing in visitors. I was just wondering how you saw the relationship between the digitalization of these objects and the actual objects themselves, and particularly with regard to younger generations who are very wrapped up in technology. How do you, how do you see the balance being struck for those people to keep them coming to see the original objects without being satisfied by just seeing the digital copies? Yes, of course. Um, this this is one of the questions that we deal with all the time because it's one of the big fears and I was one of my questions for you was what is your biggest fear um, for a digital museum and and one of the biggest fears is that people will not come to the museum anymore um, from what we know and there is not much data out there right now from what we know the opposite is the case whenever people have been able to engage with an object on the internet virtually they usually want to go see it they want to see the original in the museum. There is a beautiful um, school project in, in London at a, at a private school where uh, young kids have been taught using 3D models of Roman emperors, of, of cities. And usually the reaction is, I want, I want to go see him. Where is he? Where is he? I, wa I want to see the original. So right now it looks as if digital models are teasers that lure people into museums, I think if it's done well, like with everything else, it'll work in favor of museums and not against them. Thank you so much, Markus Hilgert, for this very inspiring talk.